Chapter 7 The Ethereum Asset Revolution Attending a cryptocurrency meetup in Manila, the Philippines, in early 2015, I happened to be sitting next to an English developer who was obsessed with a new cryptocurrency that was under development that he felt would supersede Bitcoin because of its utility in being able to facilitate the recording of digital contracts and digital assets on the blockchain. It was being launched in the next few months and it had an initial offering price of 30 cents. I was already jaded having bought into several different coins that had fallen in value to zero in the previous few years and I wasn't ready to take the plunge again. I ignored his advice to invest as he zipped away on his little moped into the night after the close of the meeting. Two years later in mid-2017 when the revolutionary Ethereum currency hit $180 on the back of the 2017 ICO boom, I sensed that the currency's name sounded familiar. I emailed that Englishman to clarify if that was the coin he had mentioned to me. Sure enough it was, and sure enough he was now relocated to a yacht sailing the Mediterranean enjoying his newfound wealth. Another man, Vitalik Buterin, had been involved in the Bitcoin space for many years before he came up with the idea of a token-based blockchain. As a journalist for the Bitcoin magazine, he understood the Bitcoin ecosystem and envisioned how it could be extended to include the digitizing of assets into a much more easily traded liquid form with all the unconfiscatable properties of Bitcoin. Although he had done some programming as a teenager, he initially tried to convince the Bitcoin developers to help him develop the project on top of the Bitcoin protocol. When no one was willing to get involved, he had no other option than to start developing it himself using his own abilities. Et voila, Ethereum was born. Besides decreasing the block time to 15 seconds, the Ethereum premise focuses on layering tokens on top of the blockchain to represent assets and making the blockchain programmable so that smart contracts can be encoded immutably and respond to certain conditions being met. What is a smart contract? A real-life example of a smart contract that doesn't use the blockchain is a vending machine. Once the consumer selects their desired snack, then inserts the correct amount of change, the vending machine activates a computer protocol that digitally enforces the performance of that contract, dispensing the desired product. Smart contracts in the blockchain space essentially fulfill a similar function, with tokens representing the asset. Tokens make it possible for projects and businesses to raise capital in a completely unregulated manner. This breakthrough generates both good implications and bad implications depending on your perspective. From the good side of things, it means that startups can now raise capital for ideas that ordinarily would not have had access to capital or only have had access to bank loans and venture capital. Now it's possible for a new company to create a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain that entitles the beneficiaries to own equity in a new venture. The public can buy into these crowdfunded startups simply by sending Ether, the currency of Ethereum, to the address specified in the contract. So now Joe Bloggs from Main Street has the ability to invest in the next Facebook without having to be an accredited or sophisticated investor. An investor with a net worth of more than $1 million who can invest more than $100,000 at a time. He can do so pre-IPO without having to wait until the company goes public on the stock exchange, by which time the high growth stage is already over. Until now, by making the rules regarding accredited investment, governments either intentionally or unintentionally, under the guise of protecting naive investors from themselves, limited the opportunities afforded to everyday people. This uneven playing field meant that only the really rich were able to take risks in investing in the next big thing. Ethereum may completely change that. 
Of course, unregulated equity is not all good either. All the transactions for these new crypto securities can't be blocked or controlled by any intermediary or any government. Most governments haven't definitively determined that they in fact can be classified as securities yet, but in all likelihood they will be. So Ethereum opens the door to a whole world of new possibilities that aren't necessarily desirable. For example, Silk Road, the website for illicit drugs that was taken down by the FBI in October 2013, could just be the precursor for much more elaborate criminal endeavors funded by the public. Imagine a Colombian cartel cocaine exporter who sees opportunities to expand his market into Europe but needs extra capital to do so. Now it's possible for him to issue an on-chain token, cocaine coin, secured by a smart contract to raise the capital required to build his border patrol dodging submarines. Proceeds from the highly illegal venture can then be funneled back to the owners of cocaine coin periodically as Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency. The Ethereum can be laundered either through a coin mixing site that pools a whole lot of coin inputs from different sources in one address before outputting them to several different addresses in order to obfuscate blockchain tracking, or by utilizing an unregulated version of a service like Shapeshift.io that converts coins directly to another blockchain currency without the need to register one's name on a website. Shapeshift.io itself has now committed itself to standard KYC procedures, so is no longer usable for this purpose by criminals. Another possibility could be gun runners selling illegal weapons from the Ukraine who create gun token to support their business exporting weapons to war-torn regions in Africa. Or even pedophile rings that raise capital via kitty coin to support the development of underground kitty porn websites that pay profits to kitty coin holders. Any of these coins created for the purposes of organized crime could very easily be traded via underground token exchanges that operate anonymously on the internet on the Tor network which which disguises users' IP addresses from prying eyes. In this regard, Ethereum has extended the Bitcoin story by creating a brave new world that people don't yet understand. Addressing this evolution, or rather devolution, is also one of my major motivations for writing this book. With freedom comes responsibility, and a major question for governments and society as a whole is that now the Pandora's box has been opened, how do we deal with the negative consequences that are likely to evolve out of this potentially dark future we are creating for ourselves? Storing smart contracts for equity tokens on the Ethereum blockchain is just one part of this digitizing revolution. Tokens can be linked to other real-world assets also. For example, real estate or shares in almost anything. Basically, Ethereum facilitates the possibility of liquefying anything. One can imagine a future in which people who have missed out on the housing boom are able to invest in a portion of a residential property. They could, for example, purchase 4,000 tokens in a home that's been tokenized by the original owner who divided the ownership into 10,000 tokens to reduce his mortgage burden and free up locked up value. The owner would retain the remaining 6,000 tokens while paying rent to the new token holder for the portion he no longer owns. Of course, in order to create a tokenized world, it's necessary to create the real world linkages to these digital assets, linkages that are currently vague and poorly defined. The most important link is recalibrating the legal framework to recognize the proof of ownership that controlling tokens affords. This means governments legislating and reinforcing the tokenized ownership structure and establishing legal precedents on how these smart contracts should be treated in the eyes of the judicial system. Ultimately, the governments have to also recognize the limitations of their legislative powers given that the blockchains are governed by coding consensus that's controlled by the mining majority that agrees on which protocol rules to adopt and which protocol rules not to adopt.
While a real-world judiciary may be able to enforce the linkages dictated by the smart contract that pertain to the real world, for example, supporting Joe Bloggs' ownership of 40% of the equity in a house because he can prove by cryptographic signatures that he controls 40% of the equity tokens, it will prove difficult for a court to force Joe Bloggs to transfer 50% of his equity tokens to his wife in the event of a divorce settlement, unless it imposes real-world sanctions on Joe or completely disregards the token altogether. Another major problem that hasn't been resolved regarding the real-world linkages between tokens, smart contracts, and the real world is how to determine the fulfillment of contract conditions that don't exist in the digital realm. It's easy to program a time-based token transfer into the blockchain whereby token X is transferred from address A to address B when time equals T, provided a certain amount of Ethereum has been deposited from address B to address A before time equals T, but it's a lot harder to determine when a non-digital condition is fulfilled in the non-digital realm. For example, when person A and person B are betting over the outcome of a sporting match. In this case, it will become necessary to develop reputation-based third-party oracles that just record real-world outcomes that are publicly accessible on a public blockchain. These oracle website providers would record thousands of real-world outcome data points and be subscribed to by contract parties to determine the outcome of any particular smart contract. The data they would collect would include everything from the weather at particular locations, sporting results, economic results, and almost any data that could form a condition to be used in a contract. Of course, the Oracle problem prevents the smart contract system from being truly trustless, which is the blockchain ideal. Thus, the real world to digital world linkages become the weakest link in the entire system. There still has to be some trust in the system. Some human element is still required. Of course, blockchain history already has some examples where human integrity has supported the enforcement of a particular contract. One in particular is the case of BTCE, one of the oldest cryptocurrency exchanges that got caught in a money laundering FBI dragnet in mid-2017. The FBI alleged that the site had facilitated the money laundering of the coins that had been stolen from NT Gox, the hacked exchange in Japan that shut down in 2014. They simultaneously arranged for the arrest of one of the alleged founders in Greece, confiscated the exchange's servers and domain names, and froze all their fiat accounts held at financial institutions. The exchange was also hit with a $110 million fine, effectively crippling it. Unfortunately, the FBI paid no heed to the thousands of legitimate customers of the exchange whose cryptocurrency and fiat savings on the site effectively disappeared when the URL went offline. However, the operators of the site were savvy enough to not store the private keys to their cryptocurrency wallets on their servers and immediately transferred the balances to newly created wallets to prevent their seizure by the FBI. While it would have been perfectly understandable for the owners, having the FBI on their tails, to perform a disappearing act themselves with the customer funds, they endeavoured to reopen the exchange several months later under a new entity and restore customer account balances. Later chapters in the book will elaborate more on this drama. 
Back to the Ethereum blockchain, which by mid-2016 was picking up momentum, its first big splash occurred with the creation of the DAO in May 2016, a distributed autonomous organization that was essentially a decentralized investor-directed venture capital fund. The idea was to create an entity that was not controlled by any one person and operated through the consensus rules programmed into the smart contract that served as its foundation. It had no management structure or board of directors, and yet it turned into the largest crowdfunded project in history at the time, raising from 11,000 different investors $150 million worth of Ether by May 21, 2016, about 14% of the total Ether in circulation at the time. The idea of the DAO was that it would invest in projects as determined by DAO token holders who voted on which projects would make the grade. However, all was not well with the DAO. Within a month, several bugs were discovered in the smart contract and subsequently publicized. Lo and behold, it didn't take long for hackers to exploit these vulnerabilities. While the developers were trying to reach consensus on how to repair the weaknesses, within 24 hours, a hacker was able to take advantage of the bugs and transfer 3.6 million Ether, about one-third of the 11.5 million Ether that had been committed to the DAO. The funds had been transferred to an account that had a 28-day holding period, so the community had some time to remedy the situation before the funds were transferred elsewhere. Debate ensued. Many community members felt that the blockchain should be altered via a hard fork to undo the particular transaction the hacker had enacted to steal the funds. This would mean the majority of the nodes on the network changing the blockchain code at the same time to forcefully return the funds to their rightful owner. Other community members felt that although the hack was unfair, there was no way that the immutability of the blockchain should be sacrificed just to save a single project. It would set a bad precedent. Spearheaded by Ethereum's founder, Vitalik Buterin, the hard fork supporters were able to gather enough support to push ahead with their plan. However, there were enough diehard anti-fork supporters that were unwilling to compromise as they saw the fork as immoral and insisted on not upgrading to the new version of the Ethereum protocol. Thus, Ethereum Classic was born when enough nodes were sustained on the original version of the software to maintain a parallel blockchain. Much like what happened with Bitcoin Cash, when the new Ethereum fork launched, launched on July 24, 2016, all Ethereum wallet holders had received equal amounts of coins in the new fork, which was now denoted Ethereum, in addition to the coins they already possessed in the original fork, which was renamed Ethereum Classic. Enter the ICO, an abbreviation for Initial Coin Offering, the blockchain equivalent of an IPO capital raise. They've been around since 2013 when the Mastercoin project raised 4,700 bitcoins. Ethereum raised about 3,700 bitcoins, $2.3 million, in the first 12 hours of its own ICO, which took place during July and August 2014. Soon, the Ethereum blockchain became the platform of choice for future offerings, with over 80% of ICOs choosing to launch their tokens on top of it. The floodgates really opened up in 2017 as the ecosystem exploded with the implementation of the ERC-20 standard that suddenly made it easy for anyone 
with even limited technical knowledge to launch an ICO. In May 2017, Bravecoin raised $35 million in the first 30 seconds of their offering, while Filecoin raised a staggering $257 million with $200 million in the first hour. By the end of 2017, ICOs had raised over $6 billion with 37% of that raised by just 20 different ICOs. This amount was 40 times the capital that had been raised in the previous year. Of great concern, however, was subsequent analysis that estimated that 90% of ICOs launched in 2017 had either failed, become inactive, or were in fact scams. Generally, tokens represent ownership of a project or entity, much like a digital stock certificate, and as such should come under the domain of the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, in the US. While the authority has recognized that ICOs can provide lawful opportunities for investment, it also views them as highly speculative and risky and subject to regulation under the Howey test, the standard under which the SEC determines whether an asset is a security or not. While it is possible, even if illegal, for ICOs to operate outside the boundaries of the law, regulators can still make life difficult for ICO operators who choose to completely disregard formal regulations. The 2017 ICO boom, while being unprecedented in scale, gave a glimpse of what a digital asset-based future could look like. It also spurred the development of several other Ethereum clones seeking to capitalize on the shortcomings of the Ethereum platform, most prominently in regard to scalability. Thus, the evolution of the space has only just begun. However, the prevalence of dishonest ICO projects also gave many small investors a lesson in due diligence as they watched their investments evaporate into nothing in some of the many disingenuous pump-and-dump projects or even downright criminal Ponzi schemes. For example, BitConnect, a project that promised investors consistent daily returns of 1% on their investment, eventually plummeted from US $430 to almost nothing when the scheme fell apart as the market turned bearish at the start of 2018. As already mentioned, adequate due diligence means thoroughly investigating the background of a project, analyzing the history of the founders, the volumes being traded, the number of coins retained by insiders compared to the daily volume charts, and the total market capitalization. Maintain vigilant caution before investing in what are highly speculative bets, and by no means a sure thing. Never invest more than you are willing to lose. Ethereum has already had an impact on the economy broken the traditional financial paradigm and spawned dozens of copycats that are eager to develop and improve on its decentralized asset model. However, governments are also scrambling to stay relevant in this brave new world where anyone can raise capital from anyone without the possibility of government oversight and control. How they will succeed remains to be seen, but either way, Ethereum seems to be here to stay. Next episode of WTF is Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency and blockchain guide for dinner parties, We'll be reading Chapter 8, Blockchain versus Government, and we'll focus on how and why blockchain technology has the potential to recalibrate the whole way governments function, consequently having the potential to turn the whole world upside down. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't hesitate to like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone you think will enjoy it. It really helps us reach a much larger audience. 